book of Jude. The book of Jude. Jude verses 20 and 21 state the following, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, as we look at this passage, Jude 20 and 21, I want us to notice something very quickly. First of all, I want you to notice that there are several ing verb forms, right? Verse 20, building, there's your first one. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Verse 20 again, praying, praying in the Holy Spirit. So there's your second one. And then the third one, the final one of our consideration here, is in verse 21, where he says, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, whenever we're taught to understand, well, maybe I can't say that. (laughs) Let me say it this way. English is constructed in such a way that there's a subject and a verb in every sentence, right? There's a subject and a verb in every sentence. Well, you haven't found them yet in verses 20 and 21 if all you've read are these ING verb forms and the things that go along with them. The subject and the verb of verses 21, and the subject is you, the understood you. The verb is keep. So I want you to look at our, our the, the central thought of verses 20 and 21, and I would even suggest it's the central thought of all of the book of Jude. Yes, even the verse with which we're most familiar with, verse 3, I would say revolves around the ideas presented in verses 20 and 21. So the verse that we're most familiar with in verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. I would say verses 20 and 21 are just as, just as crucial. In fact, verses 20 and 21 are what he was telling you he's going to do in verse 3. He said, It was needful that I write unto you that ye earnestly contend. Well, here's what we're going to do to protect ourselves. When you think about that command, keep yourselves in the love of God. In fact, if you were to put a title to this lesson, that's what you could say. Keep yourselves in the love of God. And so everything we're going to say is going to have to do with that one main idea. You, the understood subject, keep yourselves in, there's your location, the love of God. First thing I want us to notice about this. He says, you keep yourself in the love of God. Most people talk about the love of God as if it's unable to be resisted. As if man doesn't have a choice. As if God made the choice before time and that people are, that people are either going to be saved or lost because of the love of God and man doesn't have a choice in the matter. Judge Jude 20 and 21 This phrase, keep yourselves in the love of God, tells me that I have a responsibility. It's an individual responsibility. It's an important responsibility. It's one that only I can do for me. You can't do it for me. My wife can't do it for me. None of my friends can do it for me. None of my brethren can do it for me. No one else can do it for me. And the same is true with you. That's the responsibility of Christians. I have to keep myself in the love of God. Others can help me with that. Others can encourage me in that, but they can't keep me there. 
I have to do it for myself. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Alright, let's notice the second fact. It's not only a personal responsibility, I have to make the choice. And the answer is, how do I do that, right? Well, he gave us those three ING verb forms. Those are the ways he's telling us, here in this passage, to keep ourselves in the love of God. So I'm going to say it like this. I need to build up myself and my faith. I need to pray in the Holy Spirit, meaning according to the instructions of the Holy Spirit. And I need to look for the mercy of God. So those are the things we're going to talk about here, but before we get to those three ideas, I want you to notice something. Not only is it a personal responsibility, an individual responsibility, in other words, others can't do it for me, but he says, keep yourselves in the love of God. In other words, these are individuals that are already in the love of God. These are people that have obeyed the gospel. Now think about that for a minute. John 3.16, perhaps the most quoted verse out of the Bible, and certainly, I would say, the most quoted verse when it comes to the love of God. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So think about that for a moment. Every single individual of all time is a target of the love of God in the sense that God sent His Son to die for mankind so that man could make the choice to be saved from his sins because Jesus paid the price for those sins. Much like Paul said in Romans 5, 8, 9, God commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Paul speaking in first person plural, while we were yet sinners, talking about himself and the Roman Christians, while we were yet sinners and other, any Christian, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath. So think about that. Much, much more being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. He said, while we were yet sinners. Notice how He's talking about were, past tense. This is no longer the case with them. These are people that have entered into, these are the people that are, that are looked at in, the, in a different perspective in the love of God. God loved everyone, sent His Son to die for everyone so everyone could be saved. Then there's the group of people that have obeyed the gospel of Christ, obeyed the commandments of God, have been added to the church, and now they are enjoying the love of God. And it's promise being fulfilled in them. They access the blood of Christ. They access His mercy. It's available to everyone. But he's telling the brethren here, keep yourselves in the love of God. Why? Keep yourselves means you're already there. In other words, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus is the culmination of redemption. Jesus has come and paid the price. Jesus is the seed of woman. He is the seed of Abraham. He's the one in whom all nations are going to be blessed. He's the one in whom, uh, in whom that were, that the devil's head was crushed. Genesis 3.15 Just like the Hebrews writer says, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that He, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. Hebrews 2.9 For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, He also Himself likewise took part of the same, that through death He might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Hebrews 2.14 All of that relates back to Genesis 3. The fact that sin entered the world, Genesis 3.6. God made the promise, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It, her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The bruising of the heel is the crucifixion of Christ. 
He sustained a wound to pay the price for our, for our sin. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is the culmination of redemption. Jesus came and He died. That message is now being sent out. He said, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not shall be damned. Mark 16, 16. In fact, John describes it like this. He came unto his own. His own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. John 1, 11-13. He sent the Son. He said, keep yourselves, they're already there. That's because the Gospel had, in, you had Jesus come and he, he died. That's the culmination of redemption. Then you have Acts, you have the uh, appropriation of redemption, in other words, applying the benefits of redemption to your soul by obeying the gospel. That's what Acts is all about. Over and over again, the, answer, the question is answered, what must I do to be saved? The church is established. People are being added to it by the preaching of the gospel and their, their humble, submissive, penitent obedience. And that's what's happening. Just like the Philippian jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? Acts 16. That's what the book of Acts is answering over and over again. Romans through Jude, so now we're in the section that contains our text, Romans through Jude is 21 letters answering the question, not what must I do to be saved. That's not the focus of that section, though you can find the answer there. What must I, not what, not what, what must I do to be saved, but what must I do to remain saved? What must I do to maintain my salvation? In other words, you have to maintain it. You have to keep it up. Is that not implied by what, what Jude said? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Whose job is it to keep me in the love of God? There's no question about, job, about God keeping me in, doing His part to take care of me from His love's perspective. There's no question there. The only question is, am I going to keep myself there? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Alright, so how? Just like he said there, he gave us three ideas, three things I can do on a, on a every day, every week, every month, every year basis. Here's what I do, can do, must do to keep myself in the love of God. Yes, God loved me so much that he gave his son. Yes, God did that. Yes, his love is available. It can free me from my sin. Because of the sacrifice of Christ. But I'm not there just because I've obeyed the gospel and then I can't stop. I have to keep myself in the love of God. And he tells me how. Because he tells me these three things. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So, I need to build up myself on my most holy faith. Building. That's growth. That's being edified. That's being improved. Remember what Jesus said? He warned His listeners, and He warned you and me today, even still, Matthew seven thirteen and following, he says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, 
and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in there at, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find it. But beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. So he starts off by saying there's only two ways. Most people are going to take the wide gate to the broad way and it's going to lead to destruction. Few people are going to take the narrow gate, or the straight gate rather, leads to the narrow way and it leads to salvation. And he, and he follows that up immediately with saying, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now I want you to look at verses 16 and following as it pertains to the idea of building up yourselves in your most holy faith. If we're going to be building when it comes to spiritual things, this is what we need to be considering. He says, Beware of false prophets. Verse 15, then he said, You shall know them, verse 16, by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Those are rhetorical questions. Men don't gather grapes of thorns. Grapes don't grow on thorn trees. Grapes don't grow on thorny vines. Or figs of thistles. You don't pick figs off of a thistle. (coughs) You plant it and you get what you have. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? No. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. But a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. So, I'm supposed to be an inspector and a judge of fruit based on what I see. And I'm supposed to be able to beware of false prophets because I'm going to see it in their works. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits, notice this, by their fruits ye shall know them. There's no question. You'll see their fruits, and if if you know the standard, you see their fruits and you're going to know what they are. You're going to know if this is a false teacher or a teacher of truth. Notice verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. So that keeps on. He's still on the same theme. Beware of false prophets. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Just because someone sounds like they may be religious, just because someone says God's name, just because someone claims to be teaching for God, even me. I, all of us are not excluded from this. You have to judge the fruit. And he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Notice. Verses 24 and following. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, let that sink in. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, (coughs) I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. Building yourselves on your most holy faith. I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and it beat upon that house house, and it fell not for it was founded as a part of building it was founded upon a rock. 
Keep yourselves in the love of God, building up yourselves in your most holy faith. <coughs> in other words, listening to the Word of God. Taking the Word of God and allowing it to build us up. So he told them there, Whosoever heareth these things of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man. But we'll look here a moment at foolish. Notice verse 26. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not. Notice that. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Notice verses 28 and 29. It came to pass, and Jesus had ended these things. The people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. They, this is at the very heart of what they didn't like. They didn't like the fact that Jesus was pointing them to an authoritative source that you've got to, that he was the authoritative source, that I am God in the flesh, he was telling them. They didn't want a people that was centered upon the Word of God, following the commands of God, making that who they were. They wanted a people who was built upon and trusting in their traditions and their ways of things so that they could continue to manipulate and hold power. So that's what made them angry. They were astonished at His doctrine. There were many who were made angry by many of Jesus' teachings, but the astonishment came because He was so different from the teaching that said, look at the teaching of the, of the masters. Look at the teaching of the, our, our traditions. How it was passed down. Keep yourselves in the love of God, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Well, faith is, Hebrews 11, the substance of things hoped for. You and I talked about this many times. It's that, literally that thing that stands under, substance. The thing that stands under. The substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And where does faith come from? There is only one place from which faith derives. And that is the Word of God. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So if I'm going to keep myself in the love of God, I'm going to be building up myself on my most... We're going to be building up ourselves on our most holy faith. We're going to take the faith the faith, the system of faith, and we're going to learn it and grow in it and understand it and study it and make sure it's part of who we are and how we're living. And we're going to continue to grow in it because we're going to hear the sayings of Christ and do them and not be like the foolish man who heard them and did not do them. But the second point, he said, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. Jesus taught that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Luke 18.1 Think about how Jesus spent all night in prayer as He was choosing His apostles. Jesus, in other words, God in the flesh, found prayer in that situation, communication with the Father, to be very important and crucial to what He was doing. 
When we remember our frailty, when we remember our smallness, when we remember our temporary physical nature, it can help us remember how much we need God and thus how great a blessing it is to be able to pray to Him, to ask, to seek help, and to beseech Him and to ask for help for others. Because there are just sometimes things I cannot do for people. But God can do them for Him. But then there are things I can do for them, of course. But praying to God is a part of keeping myself in the love of God. These are so simple. Build up yourselves on your most holy faith. That's how I keep myself in the love of God. My responsibility, I'm already there, I've got to keep myself there. And I've got to pray in the, pray in the Holy Spirit. In other words, according to the instructions of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 6.17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. In other words, the Word tells me the instructions that the Spirit has left for us. That God has left for us through the Spirit. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul of spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So I'm to pray in the Holy Spirit. In other words, pray according to His instructions. Pray always. Pray every day. Pray without ceasing. And now as we look at this third one, I want you to think about it for a moment. Very, well, I don't have to tell you to do that. I think the text itself will make that happen, especially when we look at some other texts. But look at that last one where it says, keeping yourselves in the love of God. Or it says, keep yourselves in the love of God, and he says, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Looking for the mercy. How about that? Looking for the mercy. Say, well, God's already been merciful to me. He sent Jesus to die. True. Very true. You say, well, what do I need to look for? Well, what we need to look for is what He's going to extend to us at His return. Because you see, when we obey the gospel of Christ, we have that promise. We know we obeyed the gospel of Christ. We, we were baptized for the remission of sins. We know the Lord added us to the church. We keep on walking in the light. It's easy in the light. We have fellowship one with another. And the beloved Jesus Christ is so cleanses us from all sin. First John 1 John 1.7 And as we sin, we confess it. And He's faithful and just to forgive us. First John 1 John 1.9 And that's all part of it. You see, looking for the mercy of God <clears throat> is keeping the mind's eye focused on the Lord's return, knowing that you need mercy when He returns. In other words, mercy is the idea of I'm, being, I'm not being given something that I deserve. And what I deserve, personally, I deserve hell, torment, punishment, wrath. But mercy is that I'm not given something that I deserve whenever that thing is a negative thing. I'm looking for His mercy at His return. In other words, I'm keeping myself in the love of God 
looking, and one of the ways I do that is I look for His mercy and say, what is He telling me to do? I'm not only thinking about the fact that I need His mercy, and therefore I better remember that, but Jesus and James, to go to other places, also called about mercy. Let's go there real quickly. In Matthew chapter 5, you know the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek. Right? Blessed are the meek. Let me just get there. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Look at verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Notice that. How are the merciful blessed? The verse answers it for us. They shall obtain mercy. So that tells me those who are not merciful will not obtain mercy. Mercy. Think about the growth and the and the build that the build up that happens in Matthew five. The poor in spirit, the person that recognizes his spiritual poverty, just like Isaiah said in Isaiah sixty six two. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. After he had called them out for their sin, Isaiah one, I have nourished and brought up children, they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. He invited them to, talk, to, to consider their situation, Isaiah 1, 18 and following. He says, come now and let us reason together. And notice he implied that their guilt is there. Come now and let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet. In other words, they were guilty. But he offered an invitation. They shall be as white as snow, an invitation to forgiveness. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. He's inviting them to be forgiven. Implying they're in danger, implying they're going to be judged, and they're, they need to change their ways. And he, t- he gives them the choice. He says, if you be willing and obedient, Isaiah one nineteen, you shall eat the good of the land, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Isaiah one eighteen through 20 Isaiah 66, 2, he's come to the conclusion of the book and now he's looking back and he's saying, the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool, all those things that mine hands made, where is the house that you built unto me? In other words, you can't build a house for me like you're thinking about that house that is the temple. That temple is not what you think it is. That temple is for you more so than it is for me. And he says, but to this man will I look, to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit and trembleth at my word. In other words, spiritual poverty, humility, recognition of a need. Recognition of affliction. Recognition of having, that, that a person is smitten with something. stricken with something, we could say. In fact, that's what the word means. The contrition there, the contrite spirit. It's You recognize that you're stricken with something, as if a person who's recognized they have a terrible disease, they're stricken with this thing. 
the, the poor in spirit is the person that recognizes, I need forgiveness. I have this terrible situation. That's who God was looking for, is the person that recognized that in themselves. Rather than looking at their sinful state and ignoring it and acting as if they have no sin. And notice the accompanying trait that goes along with whom, with the person for whom he was looking, and trembleth at my word. Well, that's what Matthew 5 is talking about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, in other words, mourn over their sin. They recognize that, that situation, that, that they've been stricken, if you will. They put themselves in this situation that is sin, and because of that they have a terrible situation. They shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So there's a growth here. And then notice how hungering and thirsting after righteousness, in other words, changing oneself to live in a new way, you know, the cultivation of those, those things, now that person's beginning to look outwardly, and that person's first thought as they look at others needs to be, I need to be merciful to you just like I need mercy from God and from others whenever I do wrong, whenever I repent. Keep yourselves in the love of God, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to look at one other place as we kind of round out the thoughts. Look at the book of James, chapter 2. Remember what James is about. James, if you ask me in one verse, is about chapter 1, verse 26. Pure religion, (coughs) undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Or rather, that's verse 27. Verse 26 is the, is, the, is the antithesis to that, basically, which says, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, this man's religion is vain. Or deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion, so there's vain religion and there's pure religion. The only two types there are. You know, every, you, you could dice up vain religion and you could put a bunch of subcategories underneath there, but they all funnel into that one overall category of vain. And then the other side of the fence is pure. <coughs> pure religion. And undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. In other words, serve. Be a servant. Do things for others. Love your neighbor as yourself. And keep himself unspotted from the world. Be sanctified. In other words, don't live in sin. Practice what's right. <coughs> Cultivate the mind and thoughts. But I want you to look. Chapter 2 then shifts into not being a respecter of persons. And notice verse 12. He said, <coughs> well actually let's go back to verse 9. But if you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. It's a fact. If you're a respecter of persons, which by the way, a side note, that includes racism, real racism. I'm not talking about fake racism. Real racism is included in being a respecter of persons, so therefore real racism is a sin. He says, 
If you have respect to persons, you commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. This is a person that says, <coughs> I can harbor this one sin in my life and God will I can just keep living a certain way in this one area of my life and that's okay. In other words, in this particular instance, I can do all these things, but I don't have to get rid of my respect for persons because I just don't like those people. Well, God said, whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point. In other words, you don't ever fix that one point. You just keep letting that one go. You shall be guilty of all. Now look what he says further. <clears throat> for he that said, do not commit adultery, said also, do not kill. Now if thou commit no adultery, yet if thou kill, thou art become a transgressor of the law. So speak ye, notice, this is where we're getting back to our idea of mercy. So speak ye, and so do, as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Notice this. For he shall have judgment without mercy. Alright, that's the, that's the main sentence. The subject and the verb. He, we don't know who the he is by just reading what I read. <clears throat> he shall have judgment without mercy. Imagine that. Judgment without mercy is absolute justice. In other words, every wrongdoing is accounted for and you are going to be held accountable for every wrongdoing. There's no forgiveness there. Absolutely none. There is no, stand, no one standing in our behalf. There's no forgiveness. There's no sins wiped away. There's none of that in this statement. He shall have judgment without mercy. Who? Who's this, who is this person that's facing this terrible, terrible situation of judgment without mercy? That's a terrible thought. Who is it? He that hath showed no mercy. That's the exact same statement as Jesus made in Matthew 5, 7. Blessed are the merciful, it's just stated from the negative side, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. James 2, he shall have judgment without mercy that hath shown no mercy. Now don't get me wrong, we can't forgive people until they repent, but we can always be ready to. Luke 17, 3 and 4 makes it very clear, and that's how the Lord operates, and we wouldn't operate any differently than him. But now go back to our, our main statement, our main lesson. Keep yourselves in the love of God. How? Building up yourselves in your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Looking for the mercy of our Lord. If I'm looking for His mercy, that means I'm remembering that I don't want to face a judgment without mercy, which means I'm going to be merciful myself to those that need it. Maybe you've never obeyed the gospel so. God has made it possible for you and I to be saved through the great gift of His Son. The great love that He's demonstrated on our behalf that, <clears throat> just like Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. But He's, he's made it possible for us to be saved through His gift. Maybe we've obeyed that message and we've strayed away. If that's a private matter, we need to take care of it privately. If it's a public matter, we need to take care of it publicly. But He's made it, He's made it sure that we can be forgiven if we'll repent 
after having obeyed the gospel. We can help you. Please while we stand.